0: A very good evening, warm welcome to the Dan Nichols Show on Instagram Live. The first time we've done this as we charge into the world of technology. Oh, what a way to start it off as we catch up with one of my very favorite guests from the show, good mate of mine, somebody I've spent quite a bit of time with, especially in the bush of late. We've done some work together with one of the safari operators and gone traversing through the Kruger, Janil de Villiers. He's just back from the Dakar, what a fairly successful race in part, uh, a little frustrating I suspect in others. He did get a stage win, uh, but also had some days that didn't go quite according to plan in as much as it ever does on the Dakar. And so in just a couple of moments, Janil will be joining us and we'll chat to him and get some thoughts on an extraordinary day for sport. Uh, very excitedly watching the India versus Australia cricket game and uh, <sighs> unbelievable for uh, India over Australia. Uh, the Australians have been, well, they've been uh, they've been fairly open to the Indians on the third test as to exactly uh, what they thought they'd do to them, the Gabba. Uh, but for me, just a great game to celebrate. Uh, India, so many players down. Vera Kohli back home for the Birth of his child, uh, missing a whole pile of players including a lot of their fast bowlers and yet still came through a really good day out, really good morning of cricket and uh, yeah, we'll hopefully have some cricketers on the show in the next little while. We've got uh, a few people who are lined up to be on the show so well, I hope we well. are going to talk to Brandon Stone tomorrow. Uh, Brandon is in Abu Dhabi at the moment And he is preparing for the first big event of the calendar year, the Abu Dhabi Championship. And uh, we're going to be speaking to him in uh, just a moment. So I can see, uh, there we go, I think we have Janil. Let's look forward to tomorrow. Uh, A man who is almost as fine a golfer as uh, Brandon Stone is, Janil Devilliers, And uh, there we go. Uh, Mr. Devilliers. good evening. Dan, how are you? I'm well. Welcome home.
1: Yeah, thanks very much. It's good to good to be back home. It was
0: uh, was in the desert for a long time. <laughs> and, and a particularly strange one this year. I mean, you've, you've done plenty of strange things in your racing career in very exotic corners of the world, uh, but this one must have been very different to all of them. Uh, give us a bit of an idea before we get into the race itself uh, of how it worked in terms of getting there, making sure you were in a bubble, making sure that you were safe and secure ahead of the race starting.
1: Yeah, it was it was uh, you know different to normal years. Um, you know the organizers, ASO, which are the same organizers at the Tour de France, did a absolutely brilliant job to uh, put up the race. And like you say, you know they created this bubble. Um, we uh, we had to do uh, all had to do uh, COVID tests before we uh, flew there, and then we uh, when once we arrived there, we had to go 48 hours in uh, quarantine in our hotel rooms. We were not allowed to leave there and then go for another COVID test on that side. And um, only once that was negative, you were allowed to enter the race and be part of the BIVAC. Um And then for the rest of the race, you uh, were not allowed to leave the bivouac. So there was a bubble of uh, two and a half, 3,000 people um, yeah, during the race. So I must say it, it, it worked very well. And um, you know nobody during the race that I know of got sick.
0: Um, so yeah, all credit to ASO. Uh, we've seen plenty of uh, bitter complaints from tennis players in Australia at the moment. They're all terribly upset that the caviars being served at the wrong temperature in their hotel room and their Egyptian cotton sheets aren't being changed often enough. Uh, how much of an impact did all of this have on the actual racing? Did you kick off on day one feeling in a reasonably good space? Yes, I think so. You know, I think everybody was very happy to be there because,
1: you know, it's, it's unusual times that we live in. Um, I think everybody was just happy to be there and to, you know, for, for the for the sake that the race was taking place. Um, you know, there were many doubts in the beginning if, if it was going to happen and, and and all of that. You know, and I think once the race uh, happened and it started, you know, it actually got your mind off a little bit of the, uh, you know, all the, the struggles that we are dealing with nowadays. So, I think that was a good thing. I think, um, you know, everybody enjoyed it from there. Um, and, you know, the racing was still as as hard as it always is. So, um, yeah, from that point of view, it worked out uh, quite well.
0: Uh, let's go back a little before you actually started the race and setting aside all the COVID challenges. Uh, you generally have... A Christmas very few people would envy because while your wife, who's an internationally acclaimed sommelier and, uh, and wine expert, is uh, throwing back some of South Africa's finest red wine, red wine, I know you are very partial to yourself. You have to sit through Christmas nibbling on salad, drinking sparkling water uh, and watching everybody else enjoy themselves.
1: Yeah, it's, it's, it's
0: unfortunate, you know, it's an unfortunate time of the year.
1: Um, you know, that I need to be training and getting fit for a race like the Dak. So, you know, when, like you say, when everybody's drinking sparkling wine and and, and what have you, and, you know, I, I, I have to drink uh, sparkling water and, um, you know, make sure that I ride my bike every morning and still uh, try and stay in reasonable shape. So it is a bit difficult, but anyway, you know, that that's how it is. Um, luckily, I can... Uh, oh, I can try to catch up now a little bit after the race. Um, It's my daughter's, my four-year-old daughter's birthday today. So,
0: uh, yeah, we're trying to catch up a little bit, um, you know, on what I lost out in December. Uh Well, we wish her a a very happy birthday. And her best gift of all is, of course, having her father back. After what looked like a a, a very up-and-down race, there were some highlights, winning a stage is always fabulous. But I got a real sense that there was almost a bit of frustration creeping through where... uh, uh, there are a lot of things you just don't have control of. That's the nature of the Dakar. Uh, what was your feeling on the, on this race as a whole, between the uh, the ups of that stage win and then uh, some days that weren't quite so easy? Mm. Yeah. No. Look, I mean, I think I think this is probably
1: one of my most frustrating races um, that I've done in the, in the in the last eighteen that I've done. Uh, there's probably been one other one that has come close, but it's it was really really frustrating from the word go. You know. Nothing seemed to go our way. Um, we struggled a lot with, uh, as you know now, punctures. We had a tremendous amount of punctures. We, uh, we got lost um, many, many times uh, during the race with the new navigational challenges. Um, you know, I broke a drive shaft. And then, um, you know, I, I was in the dust of some of the trucks when you, when you go back like that. So we had a really, really challenging race. And, you know, nothing, like I said, seemed to go right except for the one day We won the stage, uh, lifted the spirits a little bit, Um, but it was a really, really challenging race. And, um, you know, as I rightly say, quite frustrating at times.
0: How do you pick yourself up? You've got a a long day out there. Uh, You're busy getting lost in Saudi Arabia in the middle of the desert. Uh, You get in late at night, you know you've got to be up first thing. There's probably work that needs to be done on the car, so you're not going to sleep terribly well. How do you keep yourself going? How do you keep that motivation going through the race when it's not going according to plan?
1: Well, I mean, because I've done so many races, it's you know, I, I, I pretty much know how it goes, you know. So the the, the the best thing is, I mean, you shouldn't lose your sense of humour because if you lose your sense of humour, it can become a very long two weeks. Um, but no, you just got to keep grinding at it. You know, in the Dakar, even if you have a bad day, and I've had many bad days in the past, sometimes you have a bad day, um, and when you get to the end of the stage, you still see, but all the other guys had a bad day, and you you, you maybe end up not doing so badly. Um, so you must you must never give up in a race like this. Always keep pushing, always keep trying. You know, no matter how, how how bad it goes. You know, this this year was a bit of a challenge because it just seemed to it never seemed to run smoothly. I had one smooth stage, except for the one that I won. Uh, but yeah, I mean, we just try to soldier on and push on, and you know. Uh, the great thing was, you know, finish the race still, which is, which is always a, a big aim uh, when you do the Dakar. So, yeah, you must just never give up.
0: The concept of getting lost, it terrifies me. It's something I'm pretty good at doing, and that's just in the suburbs of Johannesburg, uh, as my wife shouts at me and demands I find a petrol station and ask for directions, which, like all good men, I refuse to do. Uh, Is this just part and parcel of a Or You know you're going to get lost at some point and you've just got to try and find your way back on track? Is that usual? Yeah, look, I mean, they have made the navigation a bit
1: more difficult. In the past... um, we all used to have a what we call a map man. Now he basically you know put the ideal trace on the on a on a on a map and the co drivers used to work uh through the night until two, three o'clock at night, um, you know, make um little notes in their roadbook and stuff. But now that's all gone. We we don't get a roadbook anymore. They give us the roadbook in the morning fifteen minutes before the start and it's formed. And there's no preparation by by the co-drivers anymore, so um, that makes it a lot more difficult. I mean, you 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 cannot uh, you don't know where the ideal line is. You don't know? haven't got your map man working with you, so yeah, that that's why the guys are getting lost more, and it makes it more challenging. But still, I think the guys which uh, really keep a cool head, um, you might get lost for less time. You know, maybe not, maybe for a minute or two or three, and not um, uh, longer than. That. But uh, it is really challenging nowadays
0: is that the most nerve-wracking aspect of it or is there something else that puts the puts the fear into Janil a little more than getting hopelessly lost in the middle of the desert well you know the getting lost is more it's it's more disappointing
1: you know because you you try your hardest you drive your heart out uh you know you take risks and you uh you really push hard and then you you lose uh ten, fifteen, twenty minutes by getting lost, you know then sometimes you think by yourself, "Why am I pushing so hard if i 'm going to get lost in it but you know coming back to the first point you should never give up because sometimes it happens to the other guys as well um, you know it it seemed it, it felt like it happened to us a little bit more than it, it did to the others um, you know it's that's difficult to say. Um, but you shouldn't. You shouldn't. Like I say, you shouldn't get lost for for long periods of time. If you have, if you are lost for small periods of time, you should sort it out. And that, that's something we uh, we need to work on uh, in, in 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 our little team environment between um, myself and the co-driver. Um, but yeah, it it is it is it is irritating um, like hell. Um, but yeah, I don't know if there's any. Not really any other thing that
0: that scare you or so. I mean, you do, you don't really think about it like that. You mentioned you now get the book at the start of the day. Things have changed a little. Inasmuch as there is a regular day on the Dakar, uh, sketch out for us how it works, what time you're at, what you're having for breakfast, uh, how the day plays out most days.
1: Well, the day is, is pretty long.
0: It's pretty much a 12-hour day. You get up
1: in the morning. We, we all sleep in, in campers. Um, so you we, we, we get up in your camper typically at 5.30, 5, 5.30 in the morning. Um, you'll have a, a quick breakfast, like a shake or something, um, and then normally you leave on the on the on the road section uh, to go towards the stage. At anything between six and seven, uh, you you that probably gives you uh, two, uh, two, two and a half hours, three hours, depending on the length of the road section. You get to the start of the stage, um, and then you do your stage, which is four five hundred kilometers, four five six hours. Um, and then you basically get you've got another road section after the stage, and you get back to the bib at five six o'clock in the in the in the afternoon. Um, you have a debrief with your team about what's happened during the day and and and, and all of that, and then you go and eat and uh, basically go and sleep, and that you repeat for two weeks in a row. Does it get a bit monotonous? It does feel it does feel like that in time to- at times. Um, but you know, you you just that's how it is, and that's how you work your way through it. Um, for lunch or in the car, we have, uh, we have energy bars or, or or energy gels. Um, you know, I, I eat pretty much the same stuff that I uh, that I eat on a bicycle. Um, and yes, I, I I take a little uh, I take some bultong snacks with me um, to have a sense of sense of home, and uh, it, it's amazing what a difference that makes makes if you just like a piece of biltong or uh you know whatever with you to uh to 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 make it feel easier but um it does feel a bit monotonous sometimes but you know that's how it is well there's uh there's our
0: headline for us uh de villiers admits to smuggling biltong into saudi arabia we Front pages (laughs) everywhere, tomorrow. all right? Uh, What about uh, about lunch? Just the the basic stuff. Uh, I'm I'm thinking you probably don't find a nice picturesque sand dune, get out of the car, undo a picnic basket and a nice big blanket and uh, sit there for romantic lunch. Uh, Is it all in the car? And what about the bathroom breaks? Are you pulling over quickly to find a a sheltered dune? Or is it just, uh, well, everything that uh, happens in the car happens in the car?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, uh, like I said, the lunch we just take an energy bar and 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 uh, some gels and stuff with us. Um, we don't have a cooler box in the car. We don't. There's no space for something like that. We can't take some some beers with us. Although in Saudi, it's very difficult to find beers. Um, so yeah, that's 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 basically that from the lunch side. Um, and when we want to go to the bathroom, we uh, you know we you, you know you may, you need to make sure before you start that you've done your business. And then uh, just for the main things, we might wear a nappy, um, which, is, uh, which, which works quite well, actually. Um, you don't want to uh, wet the seat because the mechanics don't uh, really like you for that. And you might get a hammer or a spanner over the evening when you get back because then they've got to take the seat out and wash that. So, uh, yeah, it's better to put on a nappy for, for, for those uh, those instances.
0: <laughs> the less glamorous side of being an international rally driving superstar. Uh, one of our viewers is Hike Avalanche. She's uh, fired in a question. Do you miss Dirk? Well, I actually Dirk was in our in,
1: in our satellite, team, and I actually had a a, a lot of uh, chats to him uh, during the uh, during the rally. Uh, he was with another guy called Yazid Al Raji, and uh, no, we're still very good friends. Um, you know, we were. We were in the car together for eleven years, um, and then um, you know, obviously, our, our he decided to 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 do his own thing, and uh, you know, I, I had to get another co-driver. But yes, I mean, we still we still great friends. But it, it just so happens, you know. Sometimes it's it's almost like some golfers and and uh, and and, and their caddies, you know, at, at, after they've been together for ten fifteen years, they decide to take a break and you know try you and you know, maybe they get back together again. So yeah, who knows? Um, but we're still great friends and uh, we still speak regularly, regularly to
0: each other. All right, uh, question coming in from uh, Len DeVette, uh, not to hammer on about the subject, but do you think the difference in tire size, uh, let's uh, just see if we find that question, uh, was an issue between the Hilux and uh, the buggies? Was it detrimental to your Hilux compared to the buggies? Question from Len DeVette. That's actually a, that's a very good question and that's something that's been discussed
1: um during the race especially at the end quite a lot um i think that is the main difference um the buggy tire is a is a 37 inch tire whereas we on the hilux we run a tire and uh you know we had a lot of punctures as as, as you all know um whereas the buggy is basically a two to three punctures the race and it's the same tire; so it's both a F. goodrich tire um but I think uh, from next year that that, that's the way that the the discussion is is going is that um, the four by fours will be allowed a bigger tire uh, just to allow it to be able to take the impact Uh, because, you know, the speed of the cars has increased over the last uh, years uh, quite a lot. The tire we're using is basically still a tire that is, uh, you know, 12, 13 years old. And it just, Hasn't got the volume to 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 take all the impact anymore. So um, I definitely think that that's where it's going, and I think that'll make a huge difference
0: uh, if we can get a bigger size tyre or just uh, even out things a lot lot better. Great question, Alan. Thank you. Uh, uh, Philip Nell would like to know: any decisions made to start retesting a four by two option? Well, at the moment, I'm not sure about that. I mean, we we tested
1: one. Obviously, he knows about that. Um, but there will be all sorts of uh, discussions going on of, of what is happening now. Sure, sure, the, the 4x2 car that won the last four out of the five uh, Dakar race. You know, uh, we do feel that they have a slight advantage with the tyre size and with the, the suspension travel. They're also quite a lot lighter than we are, about 300 kilograms lighter than a 4x4. Um, but, you know, it, it, it all depends on the marketing strategy the manufacturer, now, Toyota wants to market, I like the 4x4 vehicle, you know, so a 4x2 won't, won't necessarily make a lot of sense to them, um, it depends on the marketing strategy, it, it, it obviously it makes sense for many, although it sounds quite strange, um, but um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see what uh,
0: the manufacturers say on that one which leads into an interesting point. It wasn't just a proudly South African driver at the wheel. It was a proudly South African vehicle out there. Uh, give us a little bit more on that back story on uh, what is a, a wonderful South African triumph in terms of what you were driving.
1: Yes, I mean, the the, the, the Hilux is built in Johannesburg, in Midrand, in the in the workshops in Midrand at Speed, which run uh, Toyota Motorsports uh, department here. And um, 95% of that car, built right here, right at home. Um, And, and, you know, that's the great thing about it, you know. Previously, previously I raced for other manufacturers, and I won the Dakar, you know, with with not a home-built car, and it would be great if we can do it with something that's produced locally and that's been uh, built right here. So we've been developing the Hilux over the last couple of years, uh, yeah, South Africa, and, you know, I'm very proud to say that it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a local thing from South Africa, and... You know, we've won the with the Hilux uh, with N- uh, uh two years ago, and uh, he's been second now the last two years. So um, I've had a couple of podiums with the Hilux. So it just shows, you know, as South Africans, we don't need to stand back uh, for the rest of
0: the world. Uh, this reminds me, I made the mistake when Jeanine and I were on safari together last year of asking him a very simple passing question about our game vehicle, which happened to be a Toyota, and uh, giving me the. Uh, the answers. So I've learned to not ask such questions when we're out on safari. Uh, a couple of other questions firing in. Uh, uh, Henrik Bosse wants to know: Is NASA an arrogant person? Well, if you're uh, referring to the former England cricket captain, and um, I think we'll uh, we'll take the fifth on that. And um, I, I, I expect the answer would be a firm no. But uh, give us a little bit of insight into NASA and to the relationship that the two of you have. Look, NASA is a, is a is a very competitive
1: guy. Um, he's a very confident person. Um, so, you know, it depends on how you see it. I mean, you might see it as arrogant, uh, but he's very confident. And he's actually a very nice guy. I mean, we get along very well. Um, he's, he's, in my opinion, he's the best uh, driver in the world right now. He's the fastest uh, driver in the world right now. So it's great to have him on our team. It's better to have a guy like that on your team than against you. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I've had... I'd, uh, in the mornings before the start of the stage. I had nice uh, uh, cups of tea and Arabic coffee with, uh, with him before the start of the stage uh, in true Arabic style. So uh, no, we, we get along really well. And um, yeah, as I say, you know, it depends
0: on how you see it, if, he, if he's arrogant or
1: confident. <laughs>
0: I think well, we'll, we'll go with confident, which I think is your leaning. Uh, you mentioned the, uh, the cups of coffee. There were some, some great social media through, some great photos, videos, uh, the two of you just enjoying some time away from behind the wheel. How much time do you get to soak up the atmosphere, to explore a little bit of Saudi Arabia, to take in a bit of culture? Is there some time off? Is there a time to get to know the country a little or is it all just absolute mad focus on the race? Yeah, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of time to uh, to explore. I mean, maybe for the race a little bit
1: and, and afterwards. But, you know, this year was also, you know, exceptional. We weren't allowed to, to go out of the hotel in the beginning. You uh, were only allowed to stay in your hotel and in quarantine. So this year was very difficult to even go and explore anything at all. But during the race, you know, when you're driving, I mean, you, uh, you can have small, you know, you explore small things, you know, um, you know like a cup of Arabic coffee um, and then things like that. But uh, you, you don't really have time to go and do sightseeing uh, during the race. It's, it's, uh, your day is quite full and um, when you get to the to the bivouac in the evening, uh, it's uh, better to take a good rest and sleep and, uh, you know, recuperate for the following day
0: you've got to travel all over the world you've seen some remarkable parts of the planet is there a desire to go back to saudi arabia as janil the tourist well i don't know where you know
1: the dakar is going to be there for the next five years and uh, five years after that um so i think um, you know if i do the Dakar next year next year again i might go back there but there are beautiful beautiful landscapes in saudi arabia i mean we you know, nobody really used to know Saudi Arabia because um, you don't normally uh, we didn't normally go to Saudi Arabia. But I must say, I think a lot of people or a lot of race drivers that were over there were very surprised by the beauty of the country, by the beauty of the land. And I think a lot of people also saw it on, on, on television. And the people there are really friendly. So, um, yeah, I, I don't see any reason why you. Uh, there's, there's definitely some places where you can go and uh, revisit and I think you'll have a great time.
0: Questions still flooding in. Uh, one coming in from uh, Burson wanting to know, what was the biggest thing you struggled with? I know we have mentioned getting lost uh, and uh, not being able to uh, have a great South African wine at the end of each stage. Uh, was there anything else in particular? that Was it a really big struggle this year?
1: well yeah, that 's difficult to say i mean it's, it''s it's you know the the big struggle when you when you have so many problems it's it, you know it's it 's very difficult to keep your motivation you know to still push as hard as you you know, would if you know if you 're in the top three um, and it 's very hard to keep that motivation going um, but you know as I said before, you must never give up give up in a race like that and um I've no, I I know this race. I've done eighteen of these races before, and uh, I've experienced these these highs and lows before. Um, and you just got to soldier through that, and um, you know just keep your head up and keep pushing. But it is it is sometimes difficult to
0: keep the motivation. Uh, you've uh, you've got the experience on your side, which I know does help to, to get through those tougher times. A question from Sagan: uh, While on the SS, did you manage to listen to the new warning to the danger two on the ERTF system? So Sagan's speaking completely in code, uh, but I think there's a chance you might understand what he's asking, Janil.
1: Yeah, look, look, the ERTF is the uh, is the GPS we are, uh, are using, um, but I, I don't quite understand the question. But we have we have. Um... We have warnings which uh, are double cautions and triple cautions and single cautions. Um, and in our car, a single caution is normally not a cause for concern. It might be a small ditch or something or a small jump. But in our cars, uh, that's normally a flat-out um, thing. A double caution is uh, something you maybe you lift your foot and have a look and uh, see what it is. Um, and sometimes even that is flat-out, but sometimes not. And then a triple caution is something more serious. That's something you normally need to go down to second gear um, and, you know, take that with caution. Otherwise, you can end up on your um quite quickly if you don't pay attention to that. So, um, yeah, the ERTF system works very well. It also polices us uh, when we do the road sections. So we're not allowed to speed on the road sections. We're not allowed to go over 120 k's an hour. And as soon as we go one kilometer an hour over 120 uh, it picks it up by GPS, and we get a penalty in the evening um, for every one kilometre an hour you go over, you get a minute penalty uh, for the first offence, and then second offence five minutes, third offence is exclusion. So, um, yeah, it, it 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 does work very well in policing us and also keeping us right. Uh, a
0: lot, uh, a lot of restraints, uh, especially when you're a driver who wants to go fast, 120 kilometres an hour is uh, when well, you're just getting started really when you're chaniel de villiers uh very concerned fan now how is your neck okay now after the race uh i've still got a bit of a stiff neck um yeah i,
1: I seem to the, 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 the strange thing actually is is um i uh, was at the the though the physio the that we have there one night and after i i got up from the physio um an hour later i could to turn my neck and uh you know that's not normally what happens so i don't know i don't know what happened there um but um you know they managed to sort of manage it during the race for two days after that it was very difficult to drive um but uh, you know for the rest i was on i basically took some painkillers and stuff like that but it's getting better but it's it's still a bit stiff i um i still don't feel uh, ready to swing a golf club that's for sure
0: well, uh, if you know Janil, you'll know that that's quite a serious injury. This is a man who'd play golf with broken legs if he needed to. Uh, Erad sending through a question. Janil, is there a big weight difference between the Hilux and the buggies? Uh, yes, there is a big difference
1: um, because the buggy is a 4x2. Um, they are basically 300 kilograms lighter than us, uh, the 4x4. Four um, there's also, you know, there is a weight limitation on on each car. So, uh, the Hilux, uh, the base weight, um, it can't weigh less than 1,850 kilograms. Um, but with spares and tires and fuel and what have you, it's it's probably closer to 2.2 when we um, when we start the stage. Um, you know, whereas the buggy at the end of the stage, uh, at the end of one stage, the buggy was 1,800 kilograms, and we were weighing. 2100 so that gives you 300 kilograms less which is quite a lot
0: the uh, question still flying in uh, fabian todd would like to know what did you make of brian baraguanath's performance
1: i think he did an excellent job you know brian
0: is a is
1: a great driver um, he won the quad the quad section on the Dakar before so uh, you know he knows how to go fast and um you know he was doing excellently. He was lying, I think, in sixth position overall um, up until one point And uh, you know we had some we had some nice uh, tussles, uh, Brian and myself as well. And um, yeah, he, he did a, gr- a brilliant job. Job, and he was, I think, he was a bit unlucky uh, towards the end of the race to have uh, some mechanical problem or something breaking the suspension. For a lot of time. It took 18 hours to finish the stage. But, you know, like I said just now, he never gave up and he made it to the
0: finish. Question from Johan. What is your main form of training to get in shape for the rally? And what are the temperatures in the car whilst racing? Well, I can tell you, Janil's training mostly revolves around playing golf and drinking red wine. Uh, But he does uh, curtail that just before the tackar starts. What are you doing to train to keep fit, to keep in shape for this? And how hot does it get in those cars? Yeah, well, the the training. Uh, you know, I love
1: mountain biking. I'm uh, fortunate enough to be sponsored by Specialized, and uh, you know I do a lot of training on my mountain bike. Um, I, I love that. Um, I do a bit of running as well, and then you do a little bit of gym work. Um, but before the deck, are you? Um, you know, the, I just make sure that I'm as fit as I can be uh, at that time of the year because it does help you to recover, and um, you know, especially when you had a hard day, you recover. Uh, quite a lot quicker Um, and it also helps you with the with the temperature in the car which can get quite high Um, in saudi arabia it's not too bad because it's uh, it's winter over there and it's uh, you know i would say it's in the in the 20s the days are in the 20s most of the time Um, we do have um, air conditioning in the car for the for the hot days which which does help but The one thing uh, which is important to remember is that the engine sits between myself and the navigator. So that is quite a big heater sitting right there. Um, So I would say with the air conditioner in the car, it can get up, it can get between 35 and 40 degrees. Um, And we did measure it before we had conditioners, air conditioners, and it got up to between 60 and 70 degrees, which is uh, quite hot.
0: Question coming in from uh, Christian Sarfontaine who's watching this while working on his bucky and souping it up with uh, dreams of heading to the desert. Uh, Christian would like to know, is the Dakar still doable to participate in non-professionals or privateers just doing it for the experience? Well, it it is. It is certainly. It it,
1: it obviously depends on your budget. Um, It is, unfortunately, an expensive race to enter. I would say if, um, you know, the guys that go and do it um, on the motorbikes, on the, they call it the Muller Motor Class, so you get a box with all your stuff in for two weeks and you fix your own bike and stuff like that, I think that will set you back together with your entry fee and getting there and all the stuff like that. That will probably cost you about a, uh, a million uh, rand, um, which is a lot of money uh, to go and do it on a, on, a, on a bike. And in a car, it's obviously a little bit more. So um, it is an expensive um, event to go and do. So yeah, but but it's 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 possible. You need to do a, a qualifying race or two beforehand uh, to make sure that you
0: are just capable of of you know getting through the race. But um, then, depending on your budget, you can go and do. It is a race that would take you to Saudi Arabia if you were to do it, but that hasn't always been the case. We started in Africa. We made our way through South America. You've now had some Saudi experience. You know all of the different options. What's the key difference between the three, and do you have a favorite? Well, yeah, they, you know they are very
1: different. Uh, I've, you know, I've been fortunate to, to partake in all three of them. The African one is just, you know, there they are really so much... It's it's, it's open desert. It's, uh, you know, if you break down in the middle of the African desert, you really feel alone uh, in the middle of nowhere. Um, whereas in, in, in South America, it was a little bit different. There were 5 million people following the race uh, in the first year that I was there. There was more than a million people at the start. So you can imagine the atmosphere is completely different. Um, it's the first... Um, country that i felt like uh, you know i know what it feels like to be a, a rugby player like a scott Berger or one of those boys you know that i actually they needed security for us to walk through the people um, so that's it's, it's a completely different feeling um saudi arabia is, is a little bit more towards africa more open desert um a lot less people around Uh, but you don't feel as exposed as you did in the in the african desert especially in mauritania and and places like that
0: um but i don't know my favorite is probably south america because i i won the race in south america and you got that rock star treatment although uh, i think janeel is being a a little modest there i've i've been in a shopping center in stellenbosch when janeel has walked through and the place goes absolutely mental it's kind of ab de villiers walking through downtown kolkata if uh, you want to feel for, for how it plays out. Uh, Facundo Arduzzo uh, saying hello. Uh, and then a question from uh, Marco Dexa. Uh, what is the average time loss for changing a flat tire? Now, I know in the case of me changing a tire on my car, it uh, basically depends on how long it takes for somebody to come and help me because I'm not terribly mechanically minded. Uh, this is something you need to be able to do. Uh, how quickly can you turn one around? Uh, the average,
1: the tyre change probably takes anything between a minute and a minute 20. Uh, so that's that's the time it takes you to to change a tyre. But you, you, you probably lose a little bit more time because you come to a stop and then you need to accelerate again. But um, yeah, the, the actual change is about, I would say, on average, one minute uh, 20 seconds.
0: And when you have a year like this year where yeah, every time you blinked, you were getting a puncture. Uh, how, how many tires do you carry with you? Have you got a, a supplier nearby? Are you being followed by people? What sort of outside assistance can you get during the course of a stage? How, uh, how does that work out? Yeah, we don't, we, we're not allowed, um, we're not allowed um, any outside assistance at all.
1: As soon as you get outside assistance, you, uh, you get excluded. Um, the tires we carry on the car, we are only allowed to carry three tires. Um, as per the rules, we're not allowed to carry more. And on two stages this year, I had four punches. So um, in the one stage, I had to wait 25 minutes uh, before uh, a car came past. Um, and luckily, in the in the in the rally, there's a lot of high luxes, so I could use one of these times. Um, you know, and obviously then you lose a lot of time. And the the next time it was a it was a little bit less. Um, but yes, it is it is um, it is challenging.
0: Um, but yeah, there's a there's a yeah, the deck is full of challenges. Uh, And that leads to a question I'm always interested in, in in this kind of space, where it is a fiercely competitive race, you're all trying to win it, uh, and it wouldn't be the race if that wasn't the case, and yet you've just spoken about somebody stopping and helping you out with a tyre, we see that kind of relationship in something like the Absa Cape Epic, the mountain bike race, which I know you follow, very closely every year is there that sort of camaraderie amongst the drivers if you see someone in trouble is it always the case of i'll stop and I'll, I'll help you out as best i can
1: yeah it's, a, it's amazing the camaraderie in the Dakar you know the, all the guys are, are, are trying to look out for each other obviously you know if you're racing at the front i mean you're not going to stop at your closest competitor if he has a problem um you know that's why you have teammates and you need a strong team um you know hopefully that your your teammates they can help you out but you know, it's 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 just amazing. You know, the one the day that I ran out of uh, out of wheels, um, one of the guys, the privateers actually lower down in the field, stopped stopped at me and gave me a tire, um, which is really really great. You know, and, and 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 in the evening, I make sure that he gets a brand new tire back uh, from our team. You know, just to, I mean, say a little bit of a word of a thank you to him. Uh, but it is it's it's it, it's it's amazing the camaraderie in the race, and uh, I think it's. It's more so in the Dakar than in
0: any other forms of uh, motor racing. Which leads to the question of, of motivation and continued involvement. It's more than just for driving. You're part of a, a greater motorsport family within this environment that is the Dakar. But despite the fact that you look like you're in your mid-20s, Janelle de Villiers is uh, moving into the the back end of the 40s at the moment. You're still in great shape. I've had the misfortune of standing next to you at a swimming pool, both in our costumes, and it was very dispiriting for me. Uh, But eventually, with all athletes, there comes a time when enough finally is enough. How much longer do you see this Dakar career of yours going on the back of this particular race?
1: Well, yeah, I mean that's uh, that's a question that um, you know you you never quite know how to answer, but you know I can't I can't. Hopefully, I've got another uh, one or two left. I mean, uh, we we've got to wait and see what um, Toyota decides uh, with with where they want to go with the race. Um, You know, certainly if they're up for it, I'm I'm keen for another one or two probably. Um, But yeah, like you said, I'm on the on the wrong side of the foot at the moment. so, yeah, I, I, I can't see my, my another two, three years. But, um, you know, even that is difficult to say. I mean, Peter Hansel, which has just won the race for the eighth time in the car and the 14th time overall, for the last four years, he's been saying every time it's going to be his last race, it's going to be his last race. And then, uh, you know, you see him at the start every year. So uh, you
0: never know what happens. Um, let's, let's see what happens next year or this year. <laughs> to uh, to wrap up i do want to find out about the rest of your year but that's preempted slightly by a question from oliver asking uh, janelle with the abster epic in october this year are you going to ride it as fitness training
1: well that's maybe a possibility i mean the the, the epic has always been in march and it's always been very difficult to um, you know to 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 do it because i mean if i do it i i want to i want to make sure that i'm properly fit because i don't think you should do the epic if you're not fit um well yeah so in march it was almost impossible for me to do it so yeah
0: we never know let's see maybe in october it's a possibility all right uh rest of this year janelle uh i i was always convinced that you only work two weeks a year and uh spent the rest of the year sitting by a swimming pool alternating between uh rust and cabernet sauvignon and chilled red bull but i know there's a little more to it than that uh once you've caught your breath once you have celebrated the big birthday party today uh how does the rest of your year plan out what do you get up to what does it involve well that i mean we'll see uh what happens, um you know, at Toyota in terms of, of, of,
1: of racing. But normally the rest of the year is, is, uh, is you know, with the, the local champions, championship in South Africa. We've got seven races during the year. Then obviously we do quite a lot of testing uh, during the year as well. Uh, and I've always been involved with Toyota, with, uh, you know, with car launches and things like that. So that also keeps you quite busy. So, uh, yeah, the year, in the beginning of the year, it's, it's fairly quiet and then I would say, But May, June, it starts to pick up. And then second second half of the year is always, uh, you know, crazy busy. So um, I expect it to be uh, the same this year. Let's wait and see.
0: Well, that crazy busy might involve a bicycle and a tall Irishman called Bobby on the epic, we'll keep you posted on that and uh, looking forward, Janelle, to spending some more time with you soon in the bush with our friends from Ranger Bug Safaris. Uh, for now, that birthday party awaits, so you've got a, a four-year-old who I'm sure is looking forward to her dad coming to celebrate. Uh, congratulations again, I know it was a really frustrating race for you, but you make us immensely proud when we see you flying that South African flag, driving that South African car uh, and doing such a great job as an ambassador for South Africa. So Enjoy the recovery. Hope the neck eases up. You get back on the golf course soon. And a very, very happy birthday uh, to a smiling four-year-old back at home. Thank you, Dan. And it's uh, it's been great talking
1: to you guys. And uh, yeah, hopefully we we see each other in the bush again with uh, Ranger buck
0: uh, over a glass of uh, Rust and red wine. Thank you very <laughs> much. <laughs> I look forward to it, Janelle de Villiers, Thank you very much indeed. A uh, Dakar star won the race before. He's done eighteen of them now and uh, joining us, he only got back to South Africa yesterday. So a big thank you to Janil on his daughter's fourth birthday, taking a chunk of his evening out to catch up with us. A big thank you to everybody who's watched, sent in some terrific questions there. Uh, It's been lovely interacting with all of you, uh, with all of our friends, friends of Janil's and friends of the Dan Nichols Show. And we're gonna be doing this uh, fairly regularly, including tomorrow, an hour earlier tomorrow because of time differences. Uh, Tomorrow it's six o'clock, South African time. I'll be crossing to Abu Dhabi and joining Brandon Stone, the South African golfer, a European Tour winner three times over as he prepares to take on the first big event of the year. Which was the Abu Dhabi Championship. First big event of the European Tour. So Brandon, saying tomorrow, plenty more guests coming up. Uh, do follow us on our Danical Show social media channels. And a throw forward first week of April, season 13 of the Danical Show presented by Bright Rock, touches down on Supersport. Massive, massive thank you to Janil for the time this evening. Thank you to all of you for joining us from right around the world. And if you've got an interest in golf, then please join us six o'clock South African time on Wednesday evening as we catch up with Bram and Son. I'm Danical from the Danical Show, presented by Brad Drog. See you tomorrow. Cheers.